Hello, welcome to Stacked. I'm Amanda. And I'm Zipporah. And we're two friends who connected over our shared love of books and their power to demystify the world around us. So if you're the kind of person who can't leave their house without a book, or you still remember the first book you couldn't put down, or you love long journeys because it gives you a really good chance to read, then join us each episode as we discuss the books we've read and how they've changed us, saved us, made us laugh, and cry, or even disappointed us. It happens. (laughs) You can find Stacked wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at thestackedpod. Hi. Hi. Hi, friends. <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really, really good. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love to hear that. I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. Tell me I why. saw The Woman King. Oh, I really want to go see that. It was so good. Mm-hmm. The accents, I knew what I was getting into. Yeah. And I was prepared. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was bigger than that. <laughs> it was. <gasps> Oh, you know what? You've actually inspired... I'm going to go see it today. You inspired me. I was so hyped when I left that film. Yeah. I cried. I laughed. I I was... I'm going to... I think... I feel like I need to watch it every three days just to inject it. Yeah. That energy. (laughs) I'm going to go see it. I've actually made up my mind. Literally in my house, always, I go, oh, yeah. Every, every minute. I'm like, when I see my brother, that's what we, that's how we greet each other now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I'm back that. in the gym, guys. Don't talk to me. Yeah. Do not, like, it's just, that's what it is. Yeah, it's warrior season. It's warrior season. <laughs> it is warrior season. It's warrior season. Go and watch The Woman King. Everybody. Okay. But yeah, that's me. So I feel, I'm still very inspired. It was, it was gorgeous. Yeah. Um, how are you? How You've are inspired you? me. I'm going to go see it now as well. I mean, I was always planning to see it, but yeah. you know, sometimes with the cinema, I just feel lazy about it. No, I love the cinema. I love the cinema, but then sometimes I'm like, oh, I actually can't be asked to go. No, I, I actually go after work. It, make, it actually makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. I like going to the cinema alone, actually. Yeah. It's only when I'm like planning to go with someone else, I realise I never end up going or oh, I yeah. put it off for ages. I mostly go alone because yeah. there's one, there's a cinema near my work, so I just mm. walk there mm-hmm. and whatever's on yeah i need to get back into that going to the cinema alone you don't need like people for a cinema trip honestly and also i love popcorn (laughs) yeah i know that about you (laughs) but nothing much has actually been going on for me uh this week what have i been up to nothing just work school you know all that good stuff (laughs) (laughs) all the good stuff in life (laughs) but um, i have been reading yeah, kind of. Because I think last time we spoke, I was like, I didn't know what I was going to get back into because the last book I read was so heavy. Like, I'm still thinking about it. Mm, still? Still. You're not selling it. Yeah. No, you know, I'm not trying to sell yeah, it. Yeah. it's not. <laughs> I'm not trying to. I don't want... You know when some people read books that make them really sad or, like, you know, a little bit traumatic, mm. they turn around and, like, oh, my God, everyone should read this. And then... Bad people. I'm like, why did you do... For example, like... When I eventually got round to reading A Little Life, oh sorry, which Gabby recommended so many times, I literally had to turn to her and be like, do you hate me? What did I do? <laughs> Tell me. Was this, was, what, was, what was this for? <laughs> <laughs> so you haven't had a pick-me-up yet? No, I haven't started reading like an actual book. I've been reading poetry, actually. Um, Those are books. Those, my are, poetry those are actual there. books. When I say book, I mean like a novel. I mean like a long-form narrative, you know? 
usually. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, I don't really think of like, it is a book, we'll see, but yeah. I as an I like class that, I'm still reading, so. Yeah, yeah, no, it is reading, oh, what yeah. You, what, what poetry books? So I started reading Ocean Vong's Time as a Mother, which was like his new poetry collection. I'm so obsessed with him. I saw on your Instagram that he is yeah, releasing a new he's book. he's releasing a new book and it looks it looks thick it I looks saw... thick <laughs> <laughs> I looked at those pages I was like mm. I'm still waiting for Leslie and Neka Myrima like Leslie yeah why <laughs> where is it yeah where is it I know so Ocean Bong like his poetry the collection's called Time is a Mother which I really I just uh, there's something about that that I just that love that title is perfect yeah, because exactly. it's had to like dual mm-hmm. like time is a mother and time yeah. is like a motherfucker but yeah, then also exactly. time is a mother because time really raises you yeah exactly exactly he said poet <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna show them right from the start right from the very start and I think he is so accomplished with his like command of language it's insane the way that he can twist things and the way that he creates images like even like we just look at the title time as a mother that says so much like i feel like you could read into that and get so many different interpretations like as you've just said yourself mm. so it's just some kind of like that playing around i'm literally buying it right now you should buy I- it i'm buying it now it's <laughs> As, as you're talking, my, yeah. my right finger is yeah. like, my right hand is like, add to cart. <laughs> so good. And if anyone hasn't read like his debut novel as well, On Earth Were Briefly Gorgeous, go do it now. Boom. Yeah, boom. So today, we are discussing one of my favourite writers, people, just my favourite everything. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maya Angelou. Dr. Maya Angelou. Dr. Maya Angelou. Put some respect. Puts, did you see that YouTube interview where a girl, I think, is about to ask her a question but calls her by her first name? And she's yes. like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. It's Dr. Maya yeah. Angelou. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was like, doctor? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, Dr. Maya Angelou. Today we're discussing I Know Where the Caged Bird Sings, which is the first installment of Dr. Maya Angelou's <laughs> series of autobiographical books. There are seven. Yeah. I've read every single one. Yeah. I've reread every single one also. But this first part covers her childhood through to adolescence, so from the age of three to 16. Mm. It's actually a miracle that she even remembers or that she does. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not your traditional autobiography because it's written in narrative non-fiction style mm-hmm. it's so easy to read mm-hmm. like it's so so fun to read it was mm-hmm. a joy to read which is why for a long time I honestly did know that it was like an autobiography when people used to say I know why the cage bird sings I 100% thought it was just like a, a fiction book gotta read that novel yeah <laughs> literally <laughs> <laughs> exactly that no so the I first read it I think in 2000 and 16 or 17 Mm -hmm. and Christian recommended it because he had read it and he was like shout out Christian (laughs) he was like you're gonna you're gonna love this and I was like oh whatever yeah Uh, don't trust your recommendation (laughs) (laughs) but ever since then anything he says I'm like sure yeah I'll try it I'll try it (laughs) um read it and I became so obsessed with her and I googled uh my Angelou events come to find out she died yeah in 2014 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I felt like you know <laughs> you 
you know that? Is it TikTok or something where Stacey Dust comes on and she's like, guys, I didn't know DMX died. died. Yeah. <laughs> that was me. I was like, I'm going to see her at the South Bank. I'm coming to, I'm going to find her. And yeah. she was dead. And I cried. Mm. I cried that day mm-hmm. for her. I had my own funeral. I was like, wow. Yeah. I didn't get to meet her. And she's like... <laughs> She's so important to me mm-hmm. because I feel like when I read her, I was at a place in my life where I was just really down and yeah. just feeling like, you know, especially when you just finish uni and you're looking for a job yeah. and nobody wants to give you a job. Yeah, <laughs> nobody wants to give you one. <laughs> and I was just yeah. going through that, what am I, who am I, what's happening? Mm-hmm. And I just feel like her books and her perspective just pulled me out. Yeah. And they pulled me out of everything. Because mm-hmm. um, so. I think that is one thing that, I've always known about Maya Angelou, despite, like, not having read most of her novels or books, rather, is that there's something about her that's so aspirate or, like, inspirational exactly. in, like, everything that she does. I feel like it just has this lifting light within it. Oh. You know? And I think oh. a lot of that is because she's a poet, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and she's an amazing poet. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I, like, I'm the kind of person, if you hang out with me for more than 10 minutes, I will quote Maya Angelou. <laughs> Maya Angelou says, there's this quote, it's funny you say that, because Maya Angelou. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, and I feel like we're connected because she meant to move to Liberia because she got a job there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she didn't end up going because she landed in Ghana and her son had a car crash where he broke his neck. Oh, no. mm-hmm. Yeah, so she ended up staying in Ghana for a long time. Wow, not your entire DNA. Just with me and her. I can't <laughs> believe I didn't meet her. Yeah. I'm so sad. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that is like such like a, a weird like connection to have. Yeah. But the, the the sad thing is that she was a I could have met her. She's been alive while I've been alive. Yeah, for, yeah, like, yeah. I was grown when she died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So that's that's that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a big theme in this book especially because it's the beginning of her life mm-hmm. it's childhood mm-hmm. and the events of our childhood and how they shape us or mm-hmm. scar us mm-hmm. and how we triumph over them mm-hmm. how we move through them do you feel like there are any moments in your childhood that have been defining for you or shaped you that is a really really interesting question i don't think i can think back to my childhood and think of like one moment that I would consider to be defining I think to be fair because I had like a pretty un like pretty run-of-the-mill like uninteresting uneventful childhood I think I would say Mm. I think it would probably be more of like lots of little moments and little things that all together kind of ended up Building you. Yeah, building into something else. But I don't think there's, like, really one thing. In my ch- I can barely remember my childhood. I don't... Yeah, I'm people not say lie. that a lot. <laughs> I can barely remember it. Which is why, like, when Maya's going back to, like, age three, I'm like, wow. Yeah. I, ca- I can barely remember ten. This is a question I've, I've actually never asked you. How did you become a reader? Because mm. you read a lot. Mm. But was that... Did you start that when you were a child? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally remember being... and Actually, maybe this would be, like, a defining moment of mine. Because I remember being in primary school, I think in like year three or something, and I got in trouble, like at school, because I would always read in class, because I just felt like I was like, I- I've got this, like I'm fine. 
<laughs> it sounds so. Go on with your little math. Yeah, because it's like my grades were great, but like I would sit in class and I would put like an open book behind like my, like in front of my textbook. It's giving so, American coming of age. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so my teacher, like, if they were looking, would think I was like reading the textbook or like whatever we were supposed to be reading. But really, I was reading like I don't know. The Lord of the Rings trilogy, or like, then, like I don't know, I was reading something, and I got in trouble. And they told my mom that she's just like reading in class, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Her grades are fine, so it's not like a massive problem. But like, we want her to cut down on it. And my mom took away my books. Stop. Yeah, that is so funny. <laughs> well, like it was like a little. They put me on like a a reading ban. you better read you just have to read in the night yeah do you know what I mean I had to be a secret reader now I had to be a sleuthy reader but yeah they put me on a little like reading ban and I think that's like one of the one of the things that I remember from my childhood and it's so funny because I can remember it like so vividly and then everything else is like blanks but yeah maybe that yeah I think it it's definitely one of the first instances of like me being like I love reading and I love books that I remember so I guess that's kind of shaped me in a way that's, that's interesting yeah it's kind of shaped I'm me. surprised I've never asked you <laughs> yeah yeah but I think I'm quite similar to you I don't have a moment that one moment that changed the trajectory like my Angelou does in the book or even like for example Alice Walker when she she lost her eye mm. and she speaks about how that made her writer mm. things like that I don't have one of those moments mm. I have, I'm even thinking about how I became a reader. It was, um, Harry Potter came out, the film came Iconic. out. And then my brother, Otis, he was really into it and he really wanted to go and see it. And my dad was like, we're not going to watch it until she reads one of those books. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to. But my brother was abusing me. He was like, you need to hurry up. I need to watch this film. Yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but then I loved it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that really set me like got me going mm-hmm. but it was that I, I mean I read it under duress <laughs> but it definitely it's like the opposite of what happened to you in terms of like you being on a reading band but me being forced to yeah. like shove books down my throat <laughs> yeah, but yeah no I think little things like that that my parents did shaped me as a child and you know how people always talk about how childhood it all happens in childhood mm. and whenever you people speak about their experiences in therapy they're always mining their childhood for mm. how they've arrived at this place. Mm. And maybe this is a sign that I need to go to therapy, but I, I'm i not actually sure of those moments that have made me up. Yeah. No, neither. Maybe we do need therapy. Maybe we need maybe to, we all un- need to unlock write some things. We all need to write one of, like, uh, a series of autobiographies. Yeah, <laughs> narrative non-fictions. Obviously, both of us, like we've said, we've had these childhoods that are... Uneventful. Mm, safe. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like Maya Angelou's born in 1928, mm. or like, you know, she's growing up in the 1930s. As a black woman. Segregated mm. black society in the South, where, like, sometimes they're hiding away because white people come around in the night on a killing rampage. Mm. Like, just a reckless one, not... For, for any re- for no reason mm. or even, they can yeah or, or even the there's, an, there's a bit in the book where her grandma is being some white children are abusing her grandma like mm. insulting her and her and Maya Angelou wants to come out and you know mm. 
Yeah, because that wouldn't run with me. That's not running. But but her grandma understood the situation. Yeah. <laughs> that any wrong response could mean that they would die. Yeah, it's only going to get worse. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she and she just, yeah, she understood that. And the fact, the way that her grandma goes through, the way that her grandma experiences that, it, that takes the insult, but it doesn't seem to diminish her at all, mm-hmm. that she almost feels taller. Mm-hmm. I I think it's really it's those little moments like Maya seeing her grandma deal with those moments with so much grace and dignity. Mm. It's really hard to like I I do want to sit down and collect all the moments that teach me how to be mm. graceful or respectful mm. or dignified mm-hmm. because I do think there are I think we have probably all have those moments in our lives. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's crazy how, like, it's crazy the circumstances under which she grew up and then the woman that she became. Mm. But I do think her grandma had a really big role to play in that. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Because she was raised up by her grandma, right? So by her, her paternal grandmother. Yeah, so her and her brother were sent off to live with her grandma at, like, yeah. a very young age, right? Yeah. I loved, like, as you are saying, her grandma... Well, what I really especially liked about it was that she was like a successful shop owner oh. in the South at a time when that would have been almost impossible to achieve, like as a black woman. So to like own and run a successful shop, incredible. Like frequented by blacks and whites. Yeah, exactly. Incredible. So she's growing up, I think she grew up like under that influence, which would one as you're saying like show her so much resilience and grace but then also just show her that it's possible to rise above the station that people think they have made for you yeah Mm. and it's so interesting how her grandma starts her business she's i think she starts making some kind of delicacy i think it's like pies i don't remember Mm. but then she she there's like two places where she knows that people work she goes to the first place and she's like right outside their job so when they come out she sells them the pies Mm. she does that for a long while just to get the customer base then she moves to the other work site stays there for a bit gets the customer base then she moves directly in the middle and so then they both walk Mm. to her and that's how she starts to you know book get enough funds saved to start the shop a genius a genius (laughs) the patience (laughs) The foresight. (laughs) The innovation. The innovation. But it made me think a lot about my grandma. I know that your grandma is also a big part of your life. Mm. Do you feel like you have lessons from her that you have taken on? or? Yeah, I think I would probably say so many. Like both my grandma and my mom are both very strong independent I say of both my grandma's sadly passed away but they're both very strong independent resilient women and I think we keep going I keep saying resilient but like I think it's it expresses it perfectly the level of resolve and like inner strength that these women have and like display so especially like with my grandma for one being the mother of about seven children I believe no it is seven children five boys two girls and my mum was the first girl and she didn't come until like 
four boys already. Really? Yeah. So she's like one of the youngest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's one of the youngest. And the only reason why like my grandma, or not the only reason, but one of the reasons why my grandma even kept having kids was that she wanted a girl. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and that, I feel like that is so... Definitely not like unheard of, but like it's definitely a bit different, especially like in African society. <laughs> after the society. fifth one, I would be like, gosh. Especially I feel like after four boys, I feel like they would be like, you've actually done your job and you've excelled. Like, you know, I'm mean? like, mm. you're done. And she was like, no, I, I want a girl. And that's one thing that both my grandma and my mother like impressed, like impressed in, like upon me, I suppose, like growing up. It's just like a belief in women and community. Mm. Yeah, I think that is what I would say. Because obviously they say, you know, like it takes a village to like raise a child. But I would say mostly I was raised by my my grandma and my mom. Really? Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, yeah. And they made me feel every day that I was so capable. Uh, and, you know, actually, maybe it's like even their fault because they didn't just make me feel like I was so capable. They made me feel like I was more capable. <laughs> Like, literally, like, more capable. They were like, yeah. you're smarter, you're blah, 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 you're, yeah. like, all of this. And, yeah, it just means that you... I grew up with a great, like, sen- great sense of self-worth and then also just a strong belief in myself. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I can owe that to them, I'd say, 100%. It, it's a really interesting thing in the book is that... Because it goes from when she's three to when she's 16. And when she's younger, she's raised by her grandma. But then when she yeah. becomes a teenager, she's raised she's by her mom. Mm-hmm. So you see these different parenting styles. Mm-hmm. And something that my Dr. Maya Angelou says is that her grandma was a great raiser of young children. Mm. But her mother was a great raiser of, like, adults. Wow. And I really felt that in my own family. Mm-hmm. I feel like my dad is an amazing raiser of small children mm. and my mum is so good at raising us as adults mm-hmm. like in the transition I feel like she took over as mm-hmm. we got older and my dad was more influential when we were younger and it's just little things like I remember when I was a little I used to lie a lot mm. <laughs> my dad was like I love how casual that <laughs> but did you do I that used to no. lie a lot I used to lie <laughs> I used to lie and I remember my dad saying why why are you lying mm-hmm. and I was just like I'm scared. <laughs> and he was like, I'm not going to kill you. So yeah. don't don't lie to me. Nothing is going to happen. What can I do? What am I going to do to you? Mm-hmm. Think about it. And I never really, I never lied again to mm-hmm. them. And it really, it meant, it was so important that I never had to lie to them again. Yeah. And then like, for example, as I got older, my mum, I'll never forget when I went to high school, there was, a, I think year eight is that weird moment where you start to act a bit naughty. Mm. Like you're not in year seven and you're like, you know, <laughs> you've got your just do it bag. <laughs> So I remember, <laughs> I remember going to parents' evening and they were telling my mum that Amanda's talking, she's being chatty. My my mum, I was scared because I knew what I had been doing. Mm. I had been being crazy. Um, but my mum completely stood up for me. She was like, she's not like that. She's like, she's like, <laughs> she said, not my daughter. That's exactly. She said, this. I know her mm-hmm. and she's not like that. So mm-hmm. if she's doing that, then you need to move her. You need to do something. Yeah. You need to do something. And I was like, wow. <laughs> When we got home, yeah. my mum was crying. Oh. My mum was like, what do you think you're doing? Oh. <laughs> she was like, what do you think you are doing? Do you think I'm suffering up and down for you to go to school and chat? Yeah. 
she was like I love that she backed you up she backed me up and she always backs us up in public but when she got home she was like you just you make me sick (laughs) (laughs) but I think oh I love that yeah but the protection to just know that she always supported me whatever I did Mm -hmm. I even remember like I walked out of an exam like when I did uni Mm -hmm. they were like the the exam was going to have three questions Mm -hmm. I only revised three out of like maybe eight Mm -hmm. I was like it's a (laughs) I leave it with the Lord I get into the exam there's only one question that I prepared Mm -hmm. so in the end yeah (laughs) (laughs) and I came out and I was crying and I called my mum I was like yeah so I failed uni and that's it she was like we'll eat we'll still eat yeah (laughs) we'll eat we ate before that and we'll we'll eat after that so you know Mm -hmm. you're more than just you know, if you fail or you pass. Yeah. And I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Not that unconditional love. <laughs> no, but like just that, yeah, like giving you self-worth, like knowing, reminding you that it's, you're more than your grades. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think those, I was, it was, I thought it was really interesting to see the difference between her mom and her grandma. Yeah. Because her mom was so like badass. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Whereas her grandma was just very stately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what great opposing influences to have on your life. Because mm. I think if you meet that right in the middle, you're good. But I think even like speaking on like her mom and like their different parenting styles, being supportive, it was the fact that when she went back to go live with her mom and then she ended up getting pregnant and she was like super scared, right? Then her mom took it so well. So well. And I think that could have... And was so supportive. Could have gone two different ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That if she took it badly, what would that have meant for her self-esteem? Because I feel like in those moments, I can imagine in that moment just needing someone else to be like, you actually can do this. It's going to be all right. And I think for that to come from like your mom, who you would be fearing the most in that situation, you would feel like I can do anything. And she really. was afraid. She hid it until she was about six eight. months. Literally <laughs> six months. <laughs> Whenever people say that or like, you know, they hide it for like however long, I'm like, how? She, I guess she was very skinny. And so she had these skinny arms and long mm. skinny legs. So she was just kind of had to deal with the... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, how did you hide that? Man? And her mum was out there. Mm-hmm. So, boy. Yeah, that, yeah, but like, yeah, I agree. So on that topic, what would you say makes you resilient? Yeah, so I think resilience is made up of like a few components Mm. I think initially I just think yeah willpower Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I think you're not going to have any willpower if you haven't slept if you haven't eaten well Mm -hmm. so I think there's that kind of physical element of rest and nourishment Mm -hmm. and then I think and it's shown so well in the book that we we need support you need help yeah in 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 the book, there's so many times, like even her mum's brothers, how they all band together to help when that really awful thing happens to her, like how they take care of their uncle. She has a, an uncle who's disabled, mm. and how they all band together to take care of him. Yes, yeah, so I think that I think we need support, mm. friends, family, like the village that you said it takes mm. a village, and then I think, I think confidence forward slash bravery. Mm. I think you need to know that. And something that I took away from, especially this book, was that anything that... You know how people say, I'm only human? And yeah. they use it to mean, I can't do that because I'm I'm not perfect, I'm only human. Yeah. But then it's like, you can also use it the other way. Like, Albert Einstein was a human being just like me. Yeah. So whatever he can do, I have the capacity to do it. Yeah. Whether it takes me longer, 
<laughs> it's another question, but I can do it. Yeah. So I think you, you, you're more able to be resilient when you when you have that perspective that I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can achieve this. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of how. And that how being tailored to who you are and kind of accepting who you are and not wanting to be, you know, f- to follow other people's paths exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What makes you resilient? No, I think I completely agree with you. The way you put that was perfect. Especially the emphasis on a need for, like, support in order to be resilient. Because I think we always think of, like, resilience as, like, a very solitary thing. Like, you're, it's just you and you're pushing through everything and you're going to get everything done, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like resilience minus support just sounds like burnout waiting to happen this sounds like a disaster it is mm-hmm. and it's like to that one of my favorite things about this book is that whenever people talk about success or the journey to success they will say yeah it's really hard and you know we took a long time to get here but the fact that she's broken it down in seven books yeah and that you can actually see the failures and there are many mm. and you see her rise above every single one like mm. i love the level of detail yeah and that's why i find this book so encouraging because if you, if you, like she says, one of my favorite Maya Angelou quotes is, "You, you will encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated, mm. um, or you will not be defeated." Mm. And I feel like that is the overall message yeah. that you're gonna fall down over and over again, mm. and you're gonna get up, and you're gonna be, you're gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be fine because look at me. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. I just. I think it's so admirable how she was able to, like, inject that spirit of resilience into everything that she does. Because even, like, with I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, already, like, the image that she's, like, painting there of, like, a caged bird that is still finding the, I don't know, wherewithal to be happy or jubilant in, like, some kind of way. It just speaks to being able to, like, rise above... I feel like that is in all of the work that she does. Like, it's in just this message of being able to overcome whatever circumstances you're you're in. Yeah. And the fact that those circumstances, it's not just one day of, you know, being sad. Like, she details sometimes four-year mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. that for some people would feel like, wow, I've thrown away four years of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm nothing. I'm rubbish. How mm-hmm. could I do that? Mm-hmm. And she just always finds a way to... You know, dust herself off. Yeah, yeah. Learn from it and keep it moving. One of the saddest things was there's a like a, there's a documentary on her on Netflix, mm. and her son was crying and he was saying one of the saddest things about my mum's life is that she never found true love. And oh I was like, God, damn, not Maya. God. <laughs> and her son said that. Yeah, he was. Crying. And he was crying. Yeah. Oh God, it was probably true. And there's like, because you know, I bought every single thing that woman wrote, except mm-hmm. for her cookbooks. Mm-hmm. But I have everything. <laughs> Not a shade to her cooking, I just didn't get them. Yeah. But, <laughs> and there's one essay collection where she talks about being single mm. and winning, coming from an award ceremony where she won an award, but she's alone. Mm. And she goes into a bar full of these black guys and they all buy her a drink, but then they all end up going home to their white wives. Mm. And then she goes home alone. And, and cries on the floor. Oh, my. And then on that night, she decided that she would open up herself to white men. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it. Diverse. 
Yeah, fun so. fact, she's been married a few times. Oh, really? I think... Like how many times? I know three as a fact, mm-hmm. but then after a while in interviews, she was like, please don't ask me. <laughs> Mind your business. Basically. I hear that. So this is your first time reading it. Mm-hmm. What did you think? So it's actually my first time reading. Actually, no, I lie. <laughs> <laughs> I lie, I lie. It's your second time reading it? <laughs> I feel like I've read it, you read it before. I feel like I've read it before. I know, but I think I read it when I was like 15 or 16. And you didn't try to meet her? Oh. <laughs> that is so natural. <laughs> oh, God. So, um... I'm really familiar with Dr. Maya Angelou's poetry. It's starting to sound sarcastic, you know? <laughs> She's a real doctor. Yeah, we're like, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Dr. Maya Angelou. Yeah, I was always super familiar with her poetry. But for whatever reason, I never got into reading her longer works. So this was really interesting for me. And I think also... This is the first time I've ever read an autobiography that was written in this way, like as a narrative, non-fiction, because it felt so much easier to read, like as you were saying. I feel a lot of the times I don't really read autobiographies because I'm like, I can read Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to read 300 pages of this when Wiki can tell me in two paragraphs. I actually read like a 700-page book on... James Bolden's biography and I you're lo- crazy I love you know I love him yeah <laughs> I know you do but you're crazy 700 pages I was worth every moment I couldn't do it I love it I actually couldn't do it but yeah so I don't usually get into reading autobiography but because of the way that she did this one it was like so easy for me to read so digestible um and I think I will go on and like read the other ones just because I want to see I'm like I'm invested now yeah like please, I want, please, because you know I want to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see what. Not that I don't know where it goes, but like, yeah. Um, yeah. And then also, I love how lyrical and poetic her writing is. Like, I feel like even when you're reading her prose, you can tell that she's a poet because it flows. It flows. It's so buttery and so. I don't know what the word for it is. But- buttery. Buttery. <laughs> just smooth smooth. it's just smooth this is a this is actually a really good point because she often speaks about in interviews and she said that people she feels like people give her the impression that they think it's so easy for her to write so well Mm. and she's like i've written for four hours and only walked away with one line Mm. because she was like good reading is damned hard writing Mm. and like just to know that this good reading is damned hard writing i Mm. like that yeah no but she was she you can just see the work because you can tell that she's tried every variation mm. and this is the perfect sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, this is the perfect formulation, the perfect words. Because it's so good. Yeah. And then I feel like because she's a poet as well, even when she's writing prose, I feel like she's still thinking of like meter. Yeah. Yeah. And She's a singer as well. There we go. And a dancer. There we go. Trained dancer and an actor. And a chef. And a chef. <laughs> yeah. And a chef. And a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. She, she, there's a film version of this that she directed. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go watch that. Yeah. I know why the no comment, are. because I can't say anything bad about my auntie. <laughs> <laughs> Literally me ignoring that the beloved movie exists. <laughs> oh, my 
goodness. <laughs> Oh god. You oh. know what? Not everything was made for screen and I feel like that's something that we Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> we need to accept. Not everything needs to be a film adaptation. No, 100%. Some stories need the page. They need the page. That's it. <laughs> um but also we have to just say thank you to James Bolden because he is the reason we have all this, these mm, works. Mm-hmm. Um because I think you know they were really good friends. She mm. called him Jimmy. Mm. Oh, I know. First of all, sorry, just as an aside, James Baldwin, just an iconic friends list. In it? Iconic. You need to read that biography. I will. It's really good. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll read his wiki. No, it's just not good <laughs> enough. And also, Dr. Maya Angelou has a really amazing friends list. Mm. Billy Holiday, Oprah oh, Winfrey. Ooh. I feel like she must have been friends with Toni Morrison because Toni Morrison was friends with James Baldwin. Yeah, exactly. I was literally thinking that. Yeah, and apparently... There's some overlap there. had to be. Yeah, apparently he's a really good cook. Mm. And a good singer. Mm. Read the book. I will. I will. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, he was listening to her talk about her life. And he was like, you need to write this down. Yeah. And so he connected her to an editor. And so, yeah, now we have all of these. So yeah. thank you. Thanks, James Baldwin. Thanks, James Baldwin. <laughs> So we reached out to you guys to hear what you felt about the book, what your impressions of it. And Kalake has given us hers. Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings is easily one of the most visceral books I've ever read. And there is nothing about her life which is in proximity to mine, but I felt so entirely close to her and not just close but like experiencing all the pain and hurt and like this every emotion that she illuminated I absorbed 100% (laughs) it's poetic it's passionate it's poignant she achieved so much and it's just it's just shocking Every time I turn the page that this is real, this was real. Things that I took away from it were perseverance and that's simply credited to her story and continuing in life. And also the James Baldwin quote about how you think your experiences are unprecedented in the history of the world. And then you read. I love that James Baldwin quote. Literally. I love it so much because it like speaks to so much of it, right? You think your life is unprecedented and then you read. But it's also what it does to you when you think your mm. experience is unprecedented. Yeah. You start to feel like everything is unfair. Why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. But then when you realise, oh, everyone is going through something, mm-hmm. something. And they're just get, getting on with it. Yeah. And they're all like me as well. Yeah. They, there's like other people out here who are struggling with this, struggling with that. And this is how they've overcome that. Exactly. Like, this is how they got help. Or yeah. This, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is how they handled it. These are, this is how their friends stepped up. Mm-hmm. Even as a friend, it's good to see how you can be more supportive. Yeah, like he did with Dr. Maya when he was like, you should write this. You should write this. Mm-hmm. Because like, I think he knows that there's people out there who needed to read this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they didn't love, feel their lives were so unprecedented. And his foresight, goodness. Yeah, I love connecting with her on the moments of perseverance, but also the triumphs and the yeah those relationships where she was 
strength and embolden. They mm-hmm. were also, it made me think about all the relationships that hold me up. Yeah. Well, that's lovely. Hold you up. It's time for book recs from the book fairies. Your book agony aunts. This is our favourite part. Yeah. Because, like we say, we just love giving recommendations unprovoked. (laughs) (laughs) Wherever and whenever. So, yes. Also remember, like, please send them in. Like, you can DM us on Instagram, at the stacked pod. Give us your weird, standard, desperate book request. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, what have we got today? So, today... We've got, oh, I love this one. So we've got someone who's looking for non-fiction by black and queer people. Um, They want it to be not educational, but it should have like a unique point of view. And they mentioned some of the books that they're reading at the moment, which was All About Love by Bell Hooks, which you've spoken about previously, actually. So we are big gay, uh... (laughs) big gays? Yeah. We are big gays. We are big gays over here. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) they've been reading All About Love by Bell Hooks and also Gay Bars Why We Went Out by Jeremy Atherton Lynn, which is one that's like on my TBR. I really want to get into that. So I think it gives us kind of a good idea of what you're looking for here. Um, Uh, Okay, so they, but I felt like All About Love was quite educational. But they, do yeah. they feel like the, the delivery was quite smooth? Because it is quite easy to read. Yeah, it is yeah. quite. I think it's easy to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, I think it raises points without feeling like it's lecturing you. Okay. I think maybe because it's so kind of like internal. When I was like reading that book, I was doing a lot of like self-reflection. Yeah. So it didn't really feel like... I was being educated. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, I didn't feel yeah. like I was being educated. Like medicine I was more... and sugar or yeah, something. Exact... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm. exactly. But yeah, so I think we get the vibe. I definitely have a recommendation for this, which is one of my favourite books ever. I love this book. It's an essay collection by Hilton Owls, and it's called White Girls. Love that book. Yeah, I've seen pages of it on your Instagram. So it looks good. Really good. Incredible, incredible I think the first writer. line is, like, amazing. Yeah, like, the first essay is called Triste Tropique, and it's one of my, fir- my favourite essays ever. It kind of goes into this relationship that he had with this other man that was kind of an unrequited love situation but it's the way that he explores how the lines between friendship and love can blur sometimes in those kinds of situations But, but even to get more into it or to add a bit more context Hilton Owls is I think the only black editor no, I think he's the only black critic at the New Yorker. Really? Yeah, so he's like a theatre critic. or he, He's either the only black one or the first black one. If he's the only, I mean, that is just I think he might much. be the only. I genuinely think he might be the only. In the New York? At the New, at the no, New Yorker. No, I'm, oh. saying, I'm saying like... <laughs> in, in that the in, New in, York? In, in New York where they... I mean, what? Yeah. <laughs> but he, as far as like cultural commentary goes he is a star (laughs) no he's brilliant (laughs) he's literally brilliant oh i'm gonna get this yeah you should so it's an essay collection as i've said and i think it checks all of those marks some really interesting 
stories in there, especially about like New York in the 70s and 80s. Lots of like really interesting little cultural facts, like, you know, him running into like Basquiat before Basquiat was, you know, who he is. And like some little info on that. Also some musings on other writers like Truman Capote. It's really, really good. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll take that one too. Yeah. Well, I th- I would recommend, it's not actually a book, it's a, it's a sub stack, but you can subscribe and he gives free content. It's written by John Paul Brammer and the sub stack is called Hola Papi. And it's basically a column where queer people send in their issues and he writes responses to them. And the responses are so funny, so so poignant is a word that keeps coming up but Mm. he's just he's so wise Mm -hmm. so wise and so humorous and I feel like if you're looking for something that is is, gives a unique point of view but also feels a bit nourishing Mm -hmm. I recommend that subsect and he also has a book it's called Hola Papi How to Come Out in a Walmart Parking Lot and Other Life Lessons love that title which is hilarious yeah Um, (laughs) but yeah really I think that's that's amazing I love it I love every time I get Every time it shows up in my inbox, I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think Your Silence Will Not Protect You by Audrey Lord. Oh, good one. Yeah. Mm. I think that one feels a bit more serious, but I, I, I don't know. I think, I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think you'll forgive the seriousness for how amazing it is. Yeah. Is that our second Audrey Lorde uh, recommendation? Yeah. Yeah, because before we she said Sammy. She's in the lead. She's in the lead, isn't she, so far? I think she's the only one who's shown up twice yeah. on our recommendations. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. so that's definitely one for the body of work. Yeah. Um, season. Uh, season, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also, if you end up actually reading our requests, we would love to hear what you think about it. Love to hear. I really want to know that yeah. we're actually being helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you guys better be reading these. (laughs) (laughs) So back to I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings by Dr. Maya Angelou. I'm going to take a (laughs) I don't want her to rise from the grave and be like... Beat you up. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to be, excuse me, ma'am, that's a doctor to you. But so, what was your, what would you say is your main takeaway from this book? Honestly, a billion. Mm. <laughs> Talk <laughs> like, us through it. I feel like I'm made up of these books. <laughs> like, my spine is actually just the seven. Yeah. <laughs> it's just stacked up. <laughs> hey, stacked. Um, but mainly uh, to be brave. Aww. Yeah, that courage is the most important thing that because you can't do anything without courage. Mm-hmm. And to not become cynical, mm. that even when bad things happen don't start to think oh it's always going to be like this I'm Mm. never going to feel good Mm -hmm. yeah to not be cynical and to be brave like to be able to meet new experiences with the same like openness and love and generosity yeah oh I love that yeah that's so I, nice. I could that could be another episode, my takeaways from my Angelou. Yeah. Because I'm really giving you guys a sound bite. Yeah, we should just let you have at it. <laughs> what did you take away? I think simply literally to live like Maya. I feel that. Yeah. To live like her. Because there's something about that sense of not letting things defeat you that really speaks to me. Because I think I'm like a I'm a wallower. 
Mm. Like when bad things happen, I wallow in them, you know? <laughs> like swimming. <laughs> yeah, no, literally. I'm like, don't even drag me out of here. I'm doing backstrokes and like the sadness. <laughs> so I think it's just like learning to move on and up, mm. you know? Still I rise. Continue to rise. <laughs> Diamonds in my thighs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Unique, no. <laughs> No, that's in one of her poems, though. Unique. What? I feel like... Really? Let me not even do this. Which one? Maybe it's not true. I I feel like that... But I mean, in, like, Alien Superstar, she she says, the curves on my hips... My it does, yeah, like, it does feel like Maya It, it feels inspired. like Maya, yeah, definitely. So that's why I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We hope you enjoyed listening. And next time you can join us while we get into literally our first male author so far. Oh, <laughs> oh what are those? I'm joking. <laughs> so this is the first and only male no. author we're going to be doing this season. Oh, this season. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I was right. Yeah, you were right. I thought you were going to say first male, first and last ever. I said first and last. <laughs> Make sure you tune in because it's never happening again. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So we will be getting into 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez next week. And in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at The Stacked Pod. Please join our book community. You can follow me, Amanda, at Amanda Afwa. And me, Zipporah, at Black and Bound. This has been Stacked. And remember to pick up a book today. Stacked is part of the ACAST Amplifier, in collaboration with CC Co. The executive producer was Iwan Obinyan, with production by II Studios.